chapter 29, verse 13, and ye shall seek me and find me. Notice the next word, when you search me or search for me with all your hearts. Psalms 139, 23, search me, O God, and know my heart, try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Jeremiah lets us know that there's a way to seek the Lord, and there's a way to search for Him. He said, when you search for me with all your heart. So I want to preach to you this morning, searching with your heart. Searching with your heart. Let's love him one more time before we're seated. God, I'm asking you to bless the word of God this morning. I'm asking you to move on every one of our hearts. I'm asking you to move on our souls today. Let the word of God be strong. Let it be anointed. Let it be powerful. And let it be a blessing to everybody here. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Now look at somebody and tell them, I, I, I kind of like you before you're seated. We're all familiar with that feeling in your stomach when it sinks, when your heart skips a beat and you realize that you've misplaced or lost an item that's very valuable and precious to you. All of us lose things on a weekly basis at least. Some of you are losing things on a daily basis. In fact, I got ready to come this morning. My wife had come early, and I ran out, ran to the front door, and I'm, you know, I've got 10 minutes to get there, and it takes about seven and I couldn't find my keys. I had laid my keys down somewhere, and then I go on my search. I went into the restroom. I went into uh, the kitchen. Um, I went to my office and looked around my desk. I went to the door thinking I'd already stuck them in the door. And I went back to my bedroom, and, and I looked where I normally keep things. They weren't there, and I turned to walk out, and I just happened to glance at the bed, and there lay my keys on the bed. We all do that. We forget things every day. In fact, uh, one survey said the most common, 10 most common items that we forget or lose is our phone. Phone is number one on that list. How many of you have ever lost your phone? How many of you have uh, no phone right now? You don't have your phone with you because you lost it or left it at home today. Is there anybody? Praise God. Nobody lost it today. A camera, a wallet, keys, your purse, a backpack, your clothing, your glasses, headphones and credit cards, your ID and your license. The lost and, serve, uh, lost and found survey found that the most common lost item was in this order. 
the TV remote, 50 or 45% said they lose it frequently. Phones are lost 33% of the time. Car keys, 28% said. Their glasses, their shoes, and then their wallets and their purses. Americans spend about 2.5 days of your life in a year looking for lost things. And I would say that that's probably not accurate for a lot of people that I know. I think it'd be more like 25 or 30 days of your life looking for lost items. More than $2.7 billion a year is spent replacing items and possessions that you and I have misplaced. Twice a week, nearly a quarter of million misplace their house or car keys, and more than half of them say they misplace these items regularly, and it causes them to be late for work or school. Multitasking is the most cited cause cause for misplacing things. Trying to juggle more than one task uh, uh, at one time, uh, you'll misplace things when you get too preoccupied or too busy. Around the house or in the car are the most common places for people to lose things. The first place that people look when searching for lost items is 21% will go right to their purse or a bag and start looking. 18% follow uh, their search and end up looking on or in the couch. 14% look in the pockets of the previously worn clothing. And about 11 cents go to their bedrooms and look around the bed. And upside of hunting for missing items is that two out of three adults say that they end up finding other missing items while they're searching for the one that they were searching for first. All of us are constantly searching and looking for things that we have misplaced. There's a common saying that everything that glitters is not gold. Have you heard that saying before? There are many metals and stones that glitter, but they're not all gold. Gold is precious to man. I think it's some over $1,500 an ounce and going up slowly. And that explains why many people all over the world are searching and seeking and looking for gold. In searching for gold, people usually come across its counterfeit called charcoal pirates. This mineral many times is mistaken for real gold. Charcoal pirates look like gold and it's easy to find them. It glitters like gold and is usually found in the same region that gold deposits are found. Its discovery brings a sudden but short-lived joy. 
It gives us hope of becoming a multimillionaire in the twinkling of an eye and then suddenly it becomes disillusionment when a goldsmith tells us that you have discovered nothing but fool's gold. And that is a lot of what people do in this world. They spend their time looking for something that glitters. It looks good. It sounds good. And they end up, they've been a fool for searching things that really don't matter. I'm telling you folks, there's only a few things in this world that are really worth searching for and putting a lot of time in it. And I will declare unto you that the most important thing that you'll ever search for in this world is start searching for a relationship with God that'll get you out of this place. Amen. A lot of people come to church, but they're not serious about living for God. And I will declare unto you, you'll never get the blessings of God or the love of God like he wants to pour on you with a halfway relationship. God wants to pour out his blessings on us and be a God like no other thing has been to us. But honey, you gotta fall in love with him and quit searching for things that only satisfy you temporarily. It's been said, life is a journey searching for answers in this life. People spend their whole lives and fortunes looking for meaning and purpose. It would certainly be great if we could go to Google and we could find everything that we're looking for. If you type in Google, the meaning of life, I looked this morning and there are 2,160,000,000 sites that deal with and talk about the meaning of life. If you type in the purpose of life, there are 3,970,000,000 sites that deal with the purpose of life. For most Americans, the internet has become a way of life. Whether it's for finding information or services they need or communicating with friends and clients or just socializing today uh, is just as natural as going to the mall or the library was 30 years ago. People are running up and down highways spending their money, developing relationships only to be disappointed and discouraged and they're still empty in their hearts because what they found did not satisfy. You can search this world over for things to make you happy. You can get fooled by your flesh and by your eyes and by your heart and by your spirit and even by the enemy, the devil. You can be fooled by these things into thinking you're really happy and those things are gonna make you happy. But I'm here to tell somebody today and you need to hear me, there's only one thing that's the real deal. There's only one thing that has eternal implications and that is getting a relationship with God that'll get you in the rapture. 
Some say that there's a God-shaped vacuum in every human that can only be filled by God. And I believe that's true. Only when God is fulfilling His purpose in your life can you experience fulfillment of peace and joy and contentment that only comes from the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, when God fills you with the Holy Ghost, He gives you His fruit. He fills you up with His fruit. He puts His love and His joy He puts his contentment in you. He puts those things that are good for you in you. Never will God ever give you one thing that's bad for you. And you don't even have to worry about malpractice with God. He's never going to make a mistake. He's never going to give you the wrong prescription. He's never going to make the wrong... uh, uh, Analysis, he's never going to be wrong when it comes to you. He'll always be right in everything that he recommends for you. Only when God is fulfilling his purpose in your life can you experience fulfillment in your life. Man is searching, but many are searching for a goal and a God and an item and a thing that agrees with their personal morality. A God that would certainly send no one to hell for the wrongs that they commit. A lot of people are looking for that kind of God. They don't want a God that will judge you. They don't want a God that will look at you and condemn you and find fault with the way you live your life. They say, God gave me my passions and my desires What's wrong with me fulfilling the desires that God gave me? They know they have passions. They know they have desires. And so they don't take responsibility. They just blame God for it. God made me this way. It's God's fault. If I'm not doing right, God messed up. He should have made me different. Webster's Dictionary defines the word search as to look into over carefully or thoroughly in an effort to find or discover something as to examine in searching for something. Rogert's super thesaurus said this word means to go over with a fine tooth comb, to leave no stone unturned, to turn inside out. So when you're searching for something, honey, If you really are searching for it, you're going to be serious in your search. You're not just going to walk in and say, oh, God's not here. If you're really searching for God, you're going to walk in church and you're going to begin to notice the worship. You're going to begin to participate in the worship. You're going to hear the preaching and you're going to respond to the preaching. You're going to find yourself in an altar praying and as a result, God's going to show up and show out and something's going to happen to your life that's going to make a difference. You say, well, I don't understand that, Brother Gandy, because I got it and now I'm not living it. I got it and it's, I'm not feeling anything. Well, you just have to, you know, you just have to, Quit thinking like you married folks think. I told you when I loved you, or when I married you, I loved you, and that's all it takes. 
Now, you know that's what we married people do. We marry somebody and say, I love you. We marry them say, I do, and then you don't ever say another word to them about love because I've already said it. And there's a lot of mentalities, a lot of people that get in the church and they're wondering why they don't feel anything anymore. Oh, I think I'm going to just walk around a little bit now. They wonder why they don't feel anything when you couldn't, you couldn't call Tyler PD and put cuffs on them and drag them to prayer meeting. I know y'all don't like it when I walk around. I'm doing Gordon Poe right now. You couldn't drag some people to prayer meeting and they wonder why they don't feel anything. You couldn't get some people. Oh, I did though the other night. I had everybody on, my, on their feet while I was preaching. One time in my life I did it. You know why? Because I asked you all to stand. I had everybody, Brother Poe, everybody in my church was standing. I said, everybody, please stand. I said, whoa! I just now have had everybody on their feet while I was preaching. But son, of the only reason you got up in that service because I asked you to. I wish some of y'all would get so anointed, not just when I'm preaching, but anybody that's up here preaching, that you just stand up. Come on, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. Just stand up and say, whoa, that's good preacher. I wish it would just be automatic with some of you. Just make yourself. I'm 70 years old and I get up. I'm 70 years old and while the preaching's going on, you look over and see if I don't get up. If I can do it, you can do it. And you wonder why I'm not feeling like I used to feel. I go to church and I don't feel nothing anymore. I, it just ain't the same anymore. Well, Start getting excited about coming to church. Start getting excited about your God. Start getting excited about the benefits and the blessings that God gives you every day of your life. Start getting excited about being called and chosen, about being one of God's children, about having a father that knows all, sees all, understands all, has all power. That don't mean I'm not going to walk around some more, so don't get too comfortable. Every man, woman, or child, the moment that he or she is born, starts searching for something. And we learn as babies that it pays to scream when we can't find what we're searching for. As we grow older, we stop screaming and we start pouting, rebelling, get angry, get resentment. We don't talk to each other. We get silent. We go in the other room. We go out in the yard. We get in the car and drive off because we are not happy. If we find what we are in search of, we find ourselves smiling or laughing are displaying in a host of other ways our happiness. You can just tell when some people things are going good. The only time you see them smile. And there are some people you can read them like a book. You can tell their world just crumbled. You can tell things are not going good. And I have 
learned it is that time that you back up and just kind of wave at them. <laughs> Don't go over there and say, Brother, how are you doing today? Because he'll fill your ear with it. Not him. I'm just using him. All right? Always understand that because you're close and I use you. Don't ask some people how they're doing. Well, she'll say, well, brother, you just don't know. It's been pretty rough. I've had a hard time. Look at my kids and you can understand what a hard time I'm having. <laughs> I mean, just look at my children. I wouldn't do anybody's children that way. I knew theirs that way because I know all except Samantha. I don't know if she caught it yet or not. She'll get it here in a minute. It just don't feel like it used to feel. And that's why a lot of people are doing their marriages too. It don't feel like it used to feel. You don't look like you used to look. Duh, you looked in the mirror lately. <laughs> you're not that slim, trim girl that I married, and you're not that slim, muscled up man that I married. Your chest don't look like it used to look. It's sagging a little bit now. Well, I, you know, that's not the man I married. Can I tell you, you can't do that with God. You can never say you're not the one I married. You're not like the one I fell in love with. You're not like the one that I felt around the altar. You're not the one that's like I heard about. I'm telling you folks, anything you ever heard or got from Jesus is the same right now. He's not a changing God. He's always the same. He'll never disappoint you. He'll never let you down in any way. You gotta understand, if you're not in love with Jesus, it's because you've changed. He hadn't. Happiness responds to, to the people's quest in different ways. Each person's responses is shaped by his own personality, by his or her temperament by their lifestyle and by his or her perspective our lives are filled with stress and many are searching for stress free zones how many times have you thought or said out loud boy wouldn't it be nice to have a swimming pool I've said it I told my wife not too long ago, boy, wouldn't it be nice if we had a hot tub. Go out there and get in that hot tub and then go in and get in the bed and sleep like a baby. Just, 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 wouldn't it be nice if I could just go in a room and the kids didn't bother me? Wouldn't it be nice if my cell phone didn't ring and call me out on a job? You know, we all live under stress. We worry about finances and money problems. Stress that most of us face some of the time. It costs money to live. It costs money to buy food and pay utilities. Purchase anything. To eat out. To go places. To enjoy life. To buy gasoline for your cars. The insurance. The upkeep. There was an earthquake in a certain city and one couple sent their little boy to stay with an uncle in a neighboring town because of the earthquake. 
And a day later, they received this email. said, I'm returning your boy. Please send me the earthquake instead. <laughs> One father said, my children are the perfect age. They're too old to cry and it, at night, and they're too young to borrow my car and ask for money. A marriage counselor said to a couple, when things go wrong, do you blame each other? Not always, the wife said. Sometimes we blame the children. Sometimes we blame the pastor. Sometimes we blame the president. We blame the government. And sometimes we just slam doors and throw things. Stress is in nearly every area of our lives. In our marriages, our family, our children, our work, our finances, our health. If there isn't stress, there most certainly is worry, which goes hand to hand with stress. Someone put it this way. If we don't have a job, we worry about it. If we do have a job, we worry about losing our job. We don't have a car, we worry about it. If we do have a car, we worry about it breaking down or somebody stealing it. If we don't have money, we worry about money. And if we do have money, we worry about losing it. If we are married, we worry about it. If we're not married, we worry about it. If we don't have an education, we worry about it. If we do have an education, we worry it is not enough education. If we're sick, we worry about it. If we're not sick, we worry about getting sick. We worry about things that just really we shouldn't worry about. There's some things we just need to have peace and confidence in God that He's in control. A few years ago, a poll was taken by a pastor of a large church to determine the topics that people wanted their pastor to address from the pulpit. Over 5,000 people responded and the computer came up with 10 topics that asked or that people wanted to hear about. Number one was, where are we in prophecy? Number two was, how can I find the will of God in my life? In Acts 9, 1 through 10, we read about Paul on the Damascus Road experience. And in this account, he asked two profane questions. He said, Who art thou, Lord? In verse 8. And in verse 10, he said, What shall I do, Lord? But please notice that they are in the right order. To know the will of God, we must first know and have a relationship with God. A lot of people want to know God and His will without a relationship with God and it will never work that way. You cannot find the will of God without knowing God. Don't expect it to happen. George Truett once said, to know the will of God is the greatest knowledge. Stop doing your head like that. You're distracting me while I'm preaching. Thank you. To find the will of God is the greatest discovery. To do the will of God is the greatest achievement 
and the search for true happiness that you and I are trying to find can only be found when we find the Lord. True happiness and joy in life is not found in the possessions we have or in the gusto that we can get out of just living our lives. What little enjoyment, what little happiness, and what little satisfaction that we have is short-lived. And those same things can become a milestone around our neck to weigh us down. Some people search for happiness in the bottle at the local bar. They leave the job and stop off for happy hour at their favorite watering hole. And we all know that the happiness that comes in the bottle is not real and it's very fleeting. That's why they call it happy hour because it really only lasts about one hour. Then the real world comes knocking at your door. How many homes and marriages have been utterly destroyed as a result of these so-called happy hours? How many children are living in broken homes without mom and dad and maybe going to bed hungry at night while mom and dad are out searching and seeking after satisfaction that one more drink or one more fix can give them? Satan always uses subtle, sneaky, and underhanded methods at his disposal to get us to do his beating. He never lets you see the end result of what you're about to do, only the joy and the happiness of the moment when you indulge in what he places before you. When Eve was faced with temptation, she was blinded from the truth by her own desire to have what the devil offered her. She was seeking after her life, her own will, and didn't realize she was about to lose life eternally. Satan's deception hasn't changed. He uses our own desire for things that God has told us to stay away from to bring us to a place of disobedience and sin. It doesn't matter how much God blesses us. We can give, he can give us a nice home, a nice car, a good job, new clothes, a loving, caring spouse, and a great church, and many other things. But the devil always comes to us and lets us know that God still has set some restrictions on your life and you can't really be what you want to be because God is unfair. He tries to convince you that you can't really be happy and you can't really be free unless you have total freedom to do whatever you want to have and whatever you want to do. And that's the biggest lie that Satan's ever told humanity. And if we're not careful sitting here today, some of you could believe that. And you could literally walk away from God. You say, you really believe that could happen? It happens all the time, folks. People walk away from God for the silliest things I've ever heard.
I don't know of anybody that's ever backslid that I've heard a reason that I could justify that was a reason to go to hell over. I don't think I've ever heard a good reason for somebody to quit church. I've never heard it. In all my years of living for God, I've never found an excuse that really mattered when it was compared to what I get from God if I stay true to Him and what I get if I don't. An article I read not long ago listed seven habits, and I'm almost through, of chronically unhappy people. It said unhappy people believe that life is hard and they see themselves only as victims of life. Unhappy people have a belief that most people cannot be trusted. This closes the door on any connection outside of their inner circle and it thwarts all chances of meeting new friends. Unhappy people concentrate on what is wrong in the world than what is right in the world. Unhappy people compare themselves to others and harbor jealousy. Unhappy people tend to micromanage and control all outcomes and fall apart dramatically when life throws a curve or a wrench in their plans. Unhappy people fill their thoughts with what could go wrong versus what might go right. And last but not least, unhappy people fill conversation with gossip and complaints. You can search this world over looking for something to make you happy, only to be disappointed. Many of you sitting here today have tried drugs and alcohol and relationships. You've become workaholics and tried to get fulfillment in education and investments. And the list goes on, but those things did not and will not ever satisfy you or make you happy. There's truly only one thing in this world that will bring happiness, and that's a relationship with Jesus. Would you stand? Jesus gave us the formula for our lives in John chapter 3 when he explained that everyone, everyone, needs to be born again. 